Hello, and welcome to Pixel and Paint, the show where we talk to some of today's top artists and collectors who live, work, and play Web3. I'm your host, Brady Walker, coming to you from Maker's Place, the world's most trusted NFT marketplace and community for discovering, buying, and selling great crypto art from the world's leading digital artists. Each week, we publish conversations where I tease out the creative practices, professional mindsets, tips, tricks, habits, and quirks that the best artists in Web3 use to live the art-centered lives they do. Thank you for joining us on your creative journey, and we hope you find something in today's interview that you can put to work in your own creative practice and career. Welcome back to Pixels and Paint. Today, our guest is Christian Levin, also known as No Creative. Christian is a Danish 3D artist, and his most signature work is an unmistakable combination of beautiful architecture, exquisite color, and big pieces of floating cloth, which is why in a different interview, Christian jokingly referred to himself as that tapestry guy. Levin was introduced to the world of crypto art in late 2020 and has since become a rising star of the space. Christian is also a founding member of the Bloom Collective, a group of outstanding artists that also includes Siobhan Wong, Ben Thomas, Jenny Passan and Hans Hummel, Stefan Duquesnoy, and more. If you'd like to watch this episode, you can check it out on our YouTube, which is linked in the description. Let's get right into it with my interview with 3D artist Christian Levin, also known as No Creative. Christian, welcome. Thank you. It's great to see you. My first question, and I found myself asking this question a lot lately, um, which is just around where Web3 names come from. And yours is No Creative, sometimes No Creative Abode. Yeah. Um, Where did that come from and... Why did you drop the abode? And did you drop the abode? I did drop the abode. I can't drop it on Instagram because you can't just change your name there like you can on Twitter. Um, it, it came about when I kind of transitioned into 3D. Uh, I used to be, well, I started off as a photographer. Then I became a, a high-end researcher and worked as a, as a researcher for 13 years and then slowly started to transition into 3D. Um, when transitioning into 3D, I created a new Instagram account and I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. And I don't know what my creative goal or home was. So I came up with the name No Creative Home that was taken. I had to find a synonym for home, uh, used a boat. Um, then Web3 came around and uh, I kind of found my home. So I ditched the no home and it became no creative instead. Uh, that's the bully of why I'm no creative now. What prompted the move um, from photography to 3D or... I guess otherwise stated like into 3D, maybe not. Well, um, it's really has always been like a passion and an interest of mine. Like I remember as a kid watching like shows about people using 3D and effects and so on. Um, but I was never really able to get the results without being Pixar and having an actual render farm and understanding the render engines and so on. Um, it was kind of the same transition transition as me going from photography into retouching because I'm probably a more technical person when it comes to like, I love taking photos, 
but like the competition was very hard and what i saw was that i was pretty pretty damn good at the retouching and the competition in retouching was not as high as it was with photographers and people were starting to ask me like hey can you help me edit my photo and i started making money that way um so transitioning from photography to retouching kind of happened that way and the same with 3d like i started dabbling around around 3d because my friend told me about and that's back to the render engine my friend was like hey um check out this render engine we can actually achieve what we want now on a basic computer setup i was like holy shit this is like a photo studio only i can control the sun um and create a mountain if i want uh start dabbling in that and then um actually a competing studio retouching uh, studio called me and was like dude we've seen what you're doing with your instagram account like he was a friend from back back from school and asked me if i could do like bend the bottle cap into the shape of a heart because that would be a lot easier to do in 3d they thought um than doing like doing it for real and then taking a picture of it or like compositing it in photoshop and i just did that and then they were like okay how long did that take to like oh was like, oh, okay, interesting. And then they came coming back with new jobs. Um, and at some point, they just asked me to start like a uh, department at the, their studio. So I'm still working there um, full time and doing NFTs on the side. But that's that's how it happened. I'm curious to know how being a color grader. Uh, trained your attention. Oh yeah. Are there any meta skills that you can look back on as as having developed as a result of this this practice? Because I mean, just looking at your three D work, the colors themselves are very cinematic. There's like a there's a Kodachrome kind of vibe yeah. to yeah. it. Um, maybe you can talk a little bit about how how your attention shifts when you are a color grader. Well, it's kind of like, it's so ingrained into how I do everything now. Cause like, that's what I did with retouching. Like, um, we, we are Nordic retouching studio. So we didn't do like the over beautifying of women and so on. We often said stop to the client, like no more, like this is not okay. They are not human anymore and so on. What we really focused on was getting that often that filmic look like the old Kodak look and so on. Cause as we move further, further away from analog, I know some are moving back, right? But a lot of photographers tend to just get like a really high end digital camera and everything is too perfect. Like it's way too perfect. So what we often would do was like get old film cameras and take pictures of walls. So we could use the original grain that was in, in the film um, medium. And that's the same techniques I like, I don't even think about it, but I apply to my um, to my 3D images because what we what we m most of the time had to do in uh, 3D was um, develop a feeling, right? This needs to be a summer campaign, it needs to be warm, it needs to be light and 
welcoming, right? And and a lot of my my especially the stills revolves around a feeling, um, and it's the same same technique I apply with the colors. Like colors are a great medium to express feelings with. Yeah. yeah. You also write short little poems to accompany each piece. Can you tell me about this practice? Do do the poems exist separately, and you you kind of make match make, or are does it come after? They come during the piece because they are like they like the colors. They emphasize what I want to express with these pieces. Um. And they, they often, like, my work takes long to create. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're talking, like, several weeks often where I keep working on something, going back and forth from that, and, like, just trying to hit on that, well, that expression and feeling I'm going for. So, like, while I'm doing, what do you call it, like, monotone, like, easy tasks on the work, like painting a wall or just modeling something one day like a balustrade or something I, I think about the poems automatically and they come into existence in existence that way and I have like a Google Doc sitting next to it and I'll like type stuff on them, like ideas and where we're going with this can you tell me about your interest in architecture it's a prominent feature in your work you've you've gone Kind of all over the world yeah. in your pieces, J yeah. Japan, um, Europe, uh, the Middle East. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when I was a kid, like me and my dad would often, well, when we went on vacation, um, my dad would always go to like a church or something like that and walk in there. And not that we were religious or anything like that of course being danish you're culturally christian but it was not something we practiced like we didn't go to church or anything but like he had a very particular interest in these grand buildings um and like churches and mosques and minarets and so on as something that like really interests me somehow like religious buildings because walking into one gives you a feeling of awe and it's, it's just a different experience it's the same with grand museums right um and my my dad's aunt lived in Copenhagen like I'm born on a farm um well not on the farm I was born on a hospital I lived on the farm that's okay um but I would go to Copenhagen where she lived and she was like the cultural person in my family. And she would drag me along to museums too. And I would have the same experience walking into these grand halls and the painting hanging on the walls and all that. So it, it stems all the way back to me as a kid. And again, the feeling I had and the feeling I still have, like I do what my dad did. I walk into churches whenever I have the chance and like, I love going to museums. Every time I'm like abroad, I'll go to a museum. Last time it was the Met in uh, in New York, and I was very inspired. And you might see a piece that's inspired by the Met at some point. <laughs> Same with the Louvre in uh, Paris. Yeah, the Met is definitely awe-inspiring. Yeah, beautiful. and um, 
have great memories of the Met walking in and, you know, you're in there for maybe about three hours and you're like, okay, this is enough museum for me to deal with for today. I'm about full up, but then it takes you another hour and a half to, to find your way exactly. out of the actual building. Yeah, I got lost several times. Um, so I was reading a, a um, an interview you did with NFT culture mm -hmm. and you described yourself this way. You said, I make 3D based art with an emphasis on an exploration of architecture, art history, and the radical movement of fabrics suspended in weightlessness. Um, there was another inter interview where you referred to yourself as tapestry boy. Um, <laughs> can you, can you tell me about your fascination with what, uh, what has become your signature, this, uh, these, um, you know, bolts of fabric floating in air and, and other pieces of clothing occasionally. Yeah. So that's actually a thing that goes all the way back to me being a photography student. Um, I would go to like abandoned places because like when you're a photography student, all you want to do is take pictures, right? Be it of people, buildings, landscapes or whatever what you're interested. And the same as back then i was kind of like fascinated by empty spaces and magic realism so what i would do was i would bring a friend to like often abandoned places like old factories in copenhagen or like parking lots and stuff like that and i would have bought a bed sheet and have my friend toss it in the air and we would spend, like, sometimes we would have, have lighting set up. Sometimes we would just use, like, the sun. Um, and he, he or she would toss it in the air, and I would take a picture. And we would do that over and over and over until I couldn't force my friends to, to, to do it anymore. Same with waves. Like, waves has a clumpy feeling, too. Like, very fascinated. Of, like, I had a girlfriend at one point. That was actually Iceland, as we discussed before the interview um as you had to drag me away from the coast because i i just couldn't let it go like i took pictures of five or six hundred pictures of waves that day um and when i transitioned into 3d like one of the programs that really fascinated me was uh, houdini um and at one point i figured out that in houdini you can create a wind system um like literally how the wind will affect something and that's how i create my cloth pieces that is tossing a sheet into this wind system and so i i never really know what happens unless like i need to do something really controlled like something go in a circle or like the um synthetic where the jellyfish things goes in kind of a figure eight but still something strange something unpredicted will always happen with it um like the jail i spent so long so 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 long time on it's actually not great jellyfish but the sea slug um it fell apart and it did things and it actually in this piece it almost falls apart at the end uh, but then i mean it comes together again and it loops behind the glass um so yeah i don't know if that covers it but like i'm 
just fascinated by the way fabric moves <laughs> in space. Um, and now I'm simulating it all the time in 3D. It seems that, you know, looking across your body of work, obviously the the cloth pieces kind of have a this very dominant dominating effect to your to your body of work because it is such as a singular uh vision but looking kind of more broadly i see and maybe you can speak to this texture as really your subject matter yeah. um rather than any kind of necessarily like narrative or characters you know looking at your overgrown building pieces like the gardener or the feather series with pieces like canary mm. um can you maybe speak to to this um to this obsession and and maybe are there other artists who who whose similar obsession with texture um speak to you well it like like the cloth and now when you were talking i i realized that like when i was recharged that i worked a lot with fashion right and a lot with clothing and getting getting the right feel of dresses was a huge part like when you're doing researching for a company like like high high-end clothes branding um you need to make sure that the texture is perfect and the colors are perfect because that's all the designers cares, cares about it's, it's the babies the, the literal child children children um so it definitely comes back to that but the textual concept of my work is probably like what's his name I can't remember his name, but but there's a lot of 3D artists who really gets into the idea of simulating the real world to the point where you can't see the difference between like now we have AI and AI is really good at this, um, but before that like 3D artists would really 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 try to simulate the world, right? I do this. But then I add like elements that makes it unreal, like like canary. Um, I kind of I kind of had the idea of making a rock out of bird bird feathers, but they kind of became hair instead. Um, and that was the whole idea and concept of creating something that that would look real, but absolutely wasn't. Um, and that, that's, it's the same process with my, uh, with the cloth pieces that like, I will create this room. I will make it absolutely right. Like I will make, try and make it look as real as possible. Then I will toss some cloth into it and freeze it in place. So I have it floating around and then I'll add the grading, the color grading to it and really screw with the colors to like emphasize that. This is not real. This is magical. This is something completely different. You mentioned magical realism, and um, I, I, I did sort of have a question in the back of my mind around uh, cinema in particular and, and its influence on your work. You're from 
Scandinavia has uh, an incredibly rich cinematic history. You're also you've you've studied Japanese, and <laughs> and uh, some of your some of your work uh, hinges on some Japanese inspiration. And one of your, you know, one of your big photo photographic uh, inspirations is Hiroshi Sugimoto. So I guess I'm, uh, all that to say, is there. Um, what, do do you have any specific influences with regard to cinema? Well, obviously, I, I love I love cinema and I love movies that does something different, right? Like I don't get me wrong, like I will watch John Wick over and over and over. Um, but like I I recently saw Tar too and absolutely love that movie and like um, what's it called? Something called. Anyways, um, Dog Will by um, the Danish uh, director. What's his name? I'm so bad with names. Anyway, like the cinema influences has always influenced me. Um, and like in books, I find an inspiration there for like things I do or things I want to experiment with. And yeah, so and and I've never been a person who like needs it to be either in Danish or English, obviously, since I'm, like, my main, main girl. Um, I've watched French films, Korean films, like, I've been all over the world, and, like, there's incredible cinema out there, and, well, it's the same with music and books. Something that surprises me and does things differently, um, be it color grading, storytelling, the way you use the camera or the way you describe the narrative of the book um, interests me and inspires me and that's probably also why like my artworks are a bit different than most people um nature is object speaking of hiroshi sugimoto nature is object strikes me as a series that in particular was perhaps inspired by his dioramas. Uh -huh. um, it's also quite the breakaway from your usual work. Um, can you can you tell me about where this this series came from and what you're what you're trying to do with it? It is a breakaway, but well, let's let's start from the beginning. This is the first mint ever. Um, the first oh, it is. It is. It's the first mint on Mega's place. A couple of days after I was accepted there, I minted um, the series um, Nature as an Object. And the whole idea behind it is that the way humans look at nature is by mainly objectifying it, right? We have these specific species we care about, like lions, giraffes, pandas, and so on. And at the same time, like thousands of species are going extinct um, every day, and we do not bat an eye. We care about monsteros um, and beautiful houseplants, and it's it's the same thing well what was going on in my mind while creating nature as an object um was that you would have to go to a museum to see an actual plant <laughs> um it's the same with synthetic if you read the full i have like a one-page description of synthetic is that the idea was that 
at some point, if we co keep going like we're doing now, you won't be able to see these dancing sea slugs because the the oceans will not be suitable for these kinds of um, of beings anymore. Like they are fragile, they live in specific parts of coral reefs and so on. So the only way you would have to see them um, would be on video or as something synthetic, something where we emulate their dance. Um, a lot of my works takes some kind of like, it springs from a lot of those. Like I often have trees encroaching into my grand environments, like they were abandoned by humans and nature is coming back. Um, I'm not completely sure how I'm supposed to finish this, but like n nature and the relationship between human and nature is, is something I really care about and something that interests me. And I hope to invoke some kind of fun. Well, feeling in the people who watches my work and makes, especially if you read some of the descriptions, like think about what we're doing to this planet. I'm going to turn on some light, just say. Sure. There we go. <clears throat> um, what's it? Um, sorry, I'm like finding my 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 place. <laughs> uh, we talked about some of your visual influences and I'm curious to know when your animated pieces, if you have any, any influences or touch points with regard to sound design, um, do you do your sound design yourself Absolutely. and, um, and, and kind of, what are you trying to achieve there? Um, a feeling <laughs> as always take, uh, take, um, in route the one I did for uh, Neil for um, for the curation and the Beijing Contemporary Exhibition. That one, um, I wanted to emulate the nature of a place I used to go as a kid. It's like this mosque land in Denmark. It's hard to describe, and I don't know what the English word is for it, but it's very barren, uh, almost like a desert, but with this really particular flora um so so what i did when i had finished the piece again we have lines of mirrors like encapsulating the nature and like nature has been boxed in by humans again so that there's the, the nature relationship again and like we need to go certain places to see wild nature at some point in the future well that's how i see it anyway anyways um the sound design for that one um, is a classical piece of music I've slowed down by, I think, 7,000%. So that's what's going on in the background. Um, it's Vivaldi's The Four Seasons, or it's one like, I confuse those two often. But anyways, and then I went to the actual place and recorded the sound of the leaves rustling and the birds chirping and, and all that. And... Um, well, added it to uh, to the sound the soundscape of uh, the piece. Same, same, That's cool. Yeah, same with synthetic, and um, same with um, the Kubrick, the swirling cloth piece where you go into it, it expands out again. Um, 
I, I like slowing down classical music because it gives such an eerie feel to it and it becomes somehow is recognizable in some way and I really go for, for places in the music where you will catch that maybe this is something you've heard before but yeah sure like the the uneasiness and then I'll add like a lot of other layers like textures again so yeah when is a piece an animated piece and when is it a still piece I mean obviously the animated piece is animated but from a from a creative process standpoint it's really hard what kind of an impact do I want to to make um sometimes like obviously animated pieces often have an easier impact on people like oh it moves and it catches your attention um I tend to go less detailed with animated pieces because it's a lot of work to be honest um animate animate if i have to be frank i hate animating <laughs> I, I i love it but i hate it because i'm a perfectionist it's so much easier to correct mistakes in um in a still image that it is in uh, in an animation you would not believe the amount of time it took to in make in route a perfect loop like within root, I tried to do something I'd not seen anyone do before and have the radical movement of cloth being a perfect loop. I think I retouched manually 250 frames to cover up the mistakes in the looping of the cloth. It was hell. <laughs> and I, I did it three times because I wasn't satisfied with the result. So, um, I guess when I really want to be in pain, it's going to be an animation. This brings up, we, we've talked a little bit about when we were in F, at NFT NYC about AI and, you know, just today, um, we, you, you, uh, the Bloom Collective has settled on, on a curation set for yeah. an AI exhibit that, um, Makerspace is hosting. Can you tell me about um your use of ai yeah absolutely um, i i imagine that it speeds things up quite a bit it really does like i'm completely i used to i, I used to use inter, uh, interest pinterest a lot um i've kind of abandoned pinterest lately and just prompts my way to the sketch of the piece i want i have um I have one coming out in Megas Place in, in a few days. Um, and that was completely like the idea was in my head. And then I just started prompting it. And the whole piece is kind of built around three or four prompts um, from Mid Journey. So that, 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 and that just came completely natural. Like I just, I first went to Google and I was like Googling what I wanted, but then I was like, well, I'm not, why wouldn't I just try and do this in uh, mid journey? And mid journey just gave me kind of what I wanted. Um, and for texturing, like before you would go to, 
uh, a stock site or a free stock site or because you don't want issues with stock images <laughs> we've seen that throughout um, the web tree space that uh, people get in a lot of trouble they don't check uh, how they can use these but ai you you do not have that problem um a piece like estranged based on a church in denmark i wanted to have a fresco in the ceiling um and a lot of times in Danish churches, you paint the sky circular in, in these domes and have the sun shining. Well, not the, the literal sun, but the painted sun too. So that's what I described this time in Dali, because this was earlier on. I mainly use Midjourney now. I just said, like, circular sky, like a fresco, church-inspired architecture and so on. And it just gave it to me, and I converted it into a texture, and there we are. I had a um well a fresco for my piece that was completely custom made and not something i had to worry about like rights or i didn't have to i didn't have to buy it i could just use my subscription and like texturing with ai is pretty amazing um and i'm kind of doing it a lot now so so that's really how it's integrated into my workflow um, can you tell me a little bit about the the Bloom Collective? Yeah. Um, how did it come about? How does it function? How did it come about? Um, we all entered Web3 back in either late 2020 or start 2021 and met each other through Twitter, where we would take notice of each other on shield threads i remember like me doing a show me your art thread because like back then you're just throwing everything at the wall seeing what's stuck like i didn't have any followers on twitter and i didn't know what to do on twitter i had 24 followers on twitter when i started um and shawan posted a piece the one with the fish swimming over her face like the moving makeup i was like this is the best shit i've seen in such a long time it was, it was ghost and the shell combined with fashion and i was like oh shit this is so cool and we started talking and i was like but twitter's hard to communicate on because people disappear again and then they don't see you notice and then i created a, a discord channel called home funnily enough, um, the home of artists. And everybody kind of came in there, like Stefan, Ben Thomas, Icky came in there, Jawan was there from the start. And like this, it's still around. And there's a couple of guys from Megan's place too. Um, it's a lot quieter now because like everybody's doing a lot of things. Um, but then at some point, like, the collective idea sprang from that but i didn't like we didn't create the collective collective until a year later because i felt well my idea of creating it was that i really wanted to make sure that these was people who people who were serious about this that they were not gonna leave like they were people i could trust the professional people people who knew how to network, people who knew how to push the space forward, and people who like-mindedly wanted to bridge the gap and saw this as a genuine opportunity to become an artist. 
in a different way, understanding the technology and all that. And after a year, I think Iki came to me and was like, dude, I have this idea of making a small group. And I was like, dude, I've been thinking about this for a year. And we spent two weeks talking about who we should add to it, ask them and add them. And then we hit the ground running. Um, Bloom uh, c consists of these like souls of fire that really wants to push themselves and each other and other people forward. So what Bloom actually is, is a manage, uh, opportunity management group. We do a, a meeting once a week where we talk about what, what are we doing? Are we doing the Maker's Place thing? We're doing the career curation. Who's going to Lisbon? What are you doing there, Siobhan? Because Siobhan obviously has NFT Asia too and has a lot on her hands for that. And she's fucking successful too. So <laughs> she's a busy one and the same. And we added Jenny recently too, who's like also just working so hard on everything. So that that's what it is. But like if Jenny has an opportunity, she where like do you need any other artists so do you want to do like a curation and she'll be like oh I, I can't like i can't do a curation she will come in to to the bloom discord and be like i have this opportunity anyone want to help me with and the same with me right like we talked about it in in new york of doing the ai curation and i went to bloom i was like they want to do a curation and everybody was clapping yay let's do it and everybody's been supportive and helping with it like when i told them we need to pick up the artworks um by well that's today for us um they just made a google sheet and talked about everything it was like oh i really love how this person went into detail with the description or what and yeah that's that's how it works <laughs> it's it's um it's definitely um a way to push each other each other forward but also like just help each other because like being an artist in the web3 space being your own promoter your own like you need to do the art you need to promote you need to network you need to talk to collectors you need to manage your your money <laughs> you need to travel uh, and all of these and you need to remember all these things at the same time right um, it just helps being more than one person. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned Twitter and and you know finding finding like-minded artists who are also good at at marketing and networking. You said you started with twenty four followers. This comes up a lot when talking to artists. Um, with with for me is is this necessity for marketing oneself for networking and it, it there is a kind of i think in some artists minds there's a bit of a dirty word feeling to marketing or or networking can you maybe talk a little bit about how you went from 24 followers uh to not not like x number of followers but feeling like you had a supportive network and that and that you had kind of found a, a home online? Um, first off, the idea of branding and marketing in the artist world being a dirty word is 
a romantic lie. I do not believe it. The reason why canvases are made out of cloth was to make get them easier to transport for artists so they could go out and market themselves. Before that, they painted on wood, right? Um, marketing and art has always been a commercial thing, so let's just bury that one right now. Um, growing a community on Twitter is hard, and it takes a lot of time, and what you really need to understand is how to manage yourself and reply to people and be consistent in what you're doing. I think the most important thing you can do on Twitter is add value to other people and help other people without expecting anything in return. Um, that really has helped me grow my base of followers and supportive people and, and all that and like try to give it give as much to the community as you can and really do not expect anything in return and then be consistent like the algorithm you need to understand the algorithm like it doesn't care about you but it cares about consistency um, so i think that's that's the bullion of it um, and be be ready to change what you're doing at any time because at some point like another maniac comes in and buys twitter and everything changes again <laughs> yeah i gotta stay on your toes these days yeah you really do um i want to take a step back and ask about your piece which is probably my favorite piece of yours and i think According to an NFT culture interview that I talked about earlier, it's also your favorite piece, uh, developing. Um, I don't want to insert myself too much into this interview, but um, seeing Edgar Degas' work at the New Orleans Museum of Art when I was maybe 10 or 12 was probably the first experience for me of of this kind of kind of like a life-changing experience with art. And, and I was also lucky enough to, I mean, circumstantially, it was only, that show was only 10 blocks away from Degas' house. So a couple of years later, I got to go and actually see where he lived and where he painted a lot of his work. This, you know, I when I saw it, I thought Degas and then read up on it. Yes, in fact, it was inspired by Degas. Um, can you tell me a little bit about the the genesis of this piece and and why it is, or at least at one point was your favorite piece? Yeah, it's it's definitely one I'm really proud of. I love them all. Need to remember that. Um, but uh, it's the it's the, it's it's the merging of fashion, right? Like before before fashion, we had the guy. Um, Obviously, there's always been fashion, but he was like a strange man in many ways. Um, the way he would depict these ballet dancers and his fascination with it, and the way he also like would paint the same scene over and over and over again, and 
like all his small little like I love hiding little things in my pieces. If if you go over a lot of my work, you'll find cables. The sole reason why I put cables into my pictures are because I was a retoucher and half of the time I was removing cables. So now I'm being a rebel and sticking them back in. Um, and there will be little messages and like stuff. And the the god did the same. This is this a famous piece where there's a watering can down in the corner. And the reason why there's a water can is because they didn't want the girls to kick up dust in the ballet studio. But the girl is then like having the exact same pose and image as the watering can, and that's just the gas taking the piss. Like he just did that fall off. Um and, and I love that. I and I honestly I love the gas and I wanted to see well, the whole whole idea of creating this piece was to create something the gas-esque ballet dancers, but without the girls, because ballet is such a strange art form. Uh, because everything except for the dance is interchangeable. Like the 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 ballet master will be interchangeable. We'll take the Swan Lake, for example, something that, again, I keep uh, mentioning because it fascinates me. Like, it doesn't have to be the same person. Like, any ballet studio can perform the, the Swan Lake and they can do iterations of it, but it will always be the, the Swan Lake. And it can be different ballet masters, right? So the tutus floating around without the girls was my interpretation of what a ballet is. Like the essence of a ballet is the dance. The person does not matter. Love that. Um, I want to ask a few questions that kind of like the question about marketing and Twitter might be more broadly applicable for our audience of, of artists who are hoping to make a better living or, or maybe, you know, go full time on, on their art. Um, can you share any specific rituals or practices that help you maintain creative momentum? Um, in marketing or in like, no, just kind of in your, in your art. Books, movies, other artists, um, Twitter, like, go on Twitter and look it up. <laughs> There's so much of it. Like, it's wonderful, isn't it? You are exposed to so many incredible artists every day there. Um, but like the thing with, again, that's going back to the fact that it takes me so long to create anything that I would, would think a lot about like, what I'm doing and new it's ideas just comes automatically. Like I have 20 pieces in my head ready to go. Um, I just need to find the time to create them. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. And also like it's another thing is that I, over the last 15 years, I've been trained to be creative on command. Right? I had to go into work. There would be a photographer 
there would probably be a creative studio, like a commercial studio, and there would be a designer, and there would be my colleagues and my boss. So you having a bad day as a researcher is not an option. You need to execute. You need to make this beautiful. You need to materialize the ideas and um, the concept of what this this retouching job had to be. Like it was not old fashioned. Like sometimes I had to do like more creative compositing, right? And had freer hands. Now I have very free hands working with 3D. Like a lot of people would come to me with a vague description of what they want and just expect me to do whatever it is. So it's experience, to be honest. It's keep doing what you're doing, don't give up and like push it and if you hit that ball of um what do you call it when a creative can't create like the creative block mm -hmm. like probably just accept it and go do something else until uh, like an idea comes up um you have the freedom in art to have a creative block you do not when you have to work every day from nine to five what about on the on the flip side? You mentioned you have 20 ideas at least floating in your head to do later. If a piece takes you, you know, two, three, four weeks, um, how how do you then focus on on an idea and block everything else out? Is that a conscious uh, choice that you make? Is that a, do you do you struggle with the intrusion of too many ideas? No. Um, when I sit down and start working, everything disappears. Like it's meditation. Um, and I know a lot of artists who will work like on a lot of different pieces at a time. And one of my very good friends, he's always got like nine going. I have one usually. <laughs> this month has been a bit, bit different because there's been a lot going on, but like they keep like. I've, I'm working on one right now in Lisbon. It just doesn't leave. Like when my mind is idle, it just goes there. Um, so, yeah, it's probably more an obsession than a passion. <laughs> What's coming in the near future for your art? Is the next year or so have anything, anything unexpected coming? I don't think unexpected. I'm probably just like I found my home. Like I don't see why I. Sh it's like a lot of collaboration has enabled me to to do different things. Like the one I just did with the crypto cubes. Like it became more of a study of movement and soft bodies in space rather than. Um, cloths in, in architectural settings um but i i honestly just love creating beautiful spaces and throwing pieces of cloth into them so i don't think much will change there i want to do more collabs um and interpret other concepts but the thing is um me working as a lead 3d at a studio enables me to do 
a lot of different things in my daily work life. Um, so I I explore a lot there, uh, and I'm encouraged to explore it by my bosses. Um, so I, I don't feel like my art is my meditation. My art is my home. My art is my space. It's it's where I'm truly comfortable. So as boring as it might seem, not much is going to change. Having found your creative home, your your no creative abode, if you will, um, and and kind of and kind of t gone gone through a lot to get to this point. Is there anything that you might say to your twenty year old self about creativity or or making a a life in art and finding your home in art that that you might have said that could have helped you a little get there a little faster? That's a deeply philosophical, philosoph uh, philosophical, what's the word? Philosophical? Philo philosophical. philosophical. Sorry, that's the, <laughs> that's the thing. <laughs> um, it's, it's also late in Denmark right now. Yes, we're, we're close to 10 now, if not 10. Anyways, um, I, I have a strong belief that I am the person I am because of the things that happened to me so I would not tamper. Sometimes it just takes time to get to who you are and where you are. And you know what? When I'm 50, I might be someone completely different. Um, so no, I would probably just watch my idiot 20-year-old self and laugh a bit and then go <laughs> beyond my way. Uh, <laughs> That's a great answer. So Christian, this has been an absolute pleasure getting the chance to talk to you and have, have all of my questions answered. I still have more, but we need to wrap this up at some point. Um, <laughs> we can do a part two. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, in the meantime, where can our listeners learn more about you, follow what you're doing? Um, yeah. Well, Mainly Twitter. That's that's my main platform. Um, DMs are open. If you want to talk to me, I answer everyone, even the scammers. Um, not in a nice way, but I do answer them. Um, so so, no creative underscore eat, because some guy still has my no creative tag, and he's not posted since twenty fourteen. <laughs> well, you gotta wait until until Elon does I, the the handle purge. I the check. Account I purge. check. I check daily now. <laughs> I need that. Well, no creative underscore DMs are open, and um, almost um, like I post every day to be honest, and I have done the last two and a half years. That would be the place. Cool. Well, thank you so much for for coming on. And I'm looking forward to see you have a, a drop, I think, next week, right? Wednesday. With, with Maker's Place. And then, uh, and then we'll see you in Lisbon. I won't be there, but um, you're going to be there with... And this exhibit uh, is going to be live, the AI art exhibit. All yep. kinds of exciting things. Yeah.
got some good people from Bloom there, and uh, it's, it's going to be a great week. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, and, um, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That's a wrap for this episode of Pixels and Paint. Thanks for tuning in and being a part of our community. I hope you heard something today that you can use in your own creative practice. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your feedback helps us improve and helps others find the show and join our community. To learn more about Maker's Place, check us out at makersplace.com. Follow us on Twitter, Maker's Place is at Maker's Place, and I'm at Brady Evan Walker. I can't wait for our next episode, but until then, keep your irons in the fire and don't stop creating.